Welcome to another episode of the Back in Session podcast with your hosts, Ryan Stevens and Ryan Amir. How's it going, Ryan? Ah, same one. How about you? Oh, not too bad. Getting ready for the Christmas holiday as well as next year's legislative sessions. It's going to be it's going to be an interesting year across the board, I think. Yeah, we did get in the, uh, the Christmas spirit on our episode last week with the National Christmas Tree Association, too. Yeah, if you haven't tuned in yet to our last episode, we had Tim O'Connor, the executive director of the National Christmas Tree Association on. Um, I thought we had a great discussion and you guys should totally check it out if you haven't. And yeah, I think that was a good way to get me into the Christmas spirit. We're all decorated here in the Stevens household for Christmas. Uh, are you? Yeah, a little less to decorate than you, I think, right now. But yeah, yeah. we're getting there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, we started early this year. Yeah, yeah. And I we think got we, it much, much earlier this year. Yeah, and we talked about it. I think too on a previous episode, a couple episodes back. You know, Christmas holiday season is twenty five days, right in December. And what's the Not point enough. of doing? What's the point of doing all this decorating for three and a half weeks? For three yeah. and a half weeks, There's it, no it, point. it makes no, it makes no sense. So that's one thing that my wife and I agree on. So, <laughs> yeah, I've I've gotten in the opinion, like, I think right after Thanksgiving is OK. I actually think you can go a little bit earlier. Yeah, we did a little bit earlier than Thanksgiving this year. So it was good. But other than that, I mean, you know, it's been busy with some travel events. I know you were at the Republican Governors Association meeting out in Las Vegas. Yeah, I was, Vegas. Yeah, I was down in Amelia Island last month for the State Government Affairs Council meeting. Our colleague was at the Democratic Governors Association meeting last week. So a lot of conferences, a lot of discussion on what's going to be coming down the pike, I guess, next year in 2024. So plenty of topics being talked about. I think that one of the most interesting ones is artificial intelligence. And we talked about that on a podcast episode briefly with Alon from the Chamber of Progress. So would definitely like to maybe cover that in a future episode if anybody's interested in diving into AI a little bit more in depth, you know, let us know. We would love to to try to find some experts in the field out there that are working on actual policy uh, related to AI because it's definitely something that is going to be addressed, is being addressed and needs to be addressed. I think actually this year, Tim, this doesn't get as much attention, but I do think going into an election year, that's going to end up being like, I'm curious how campaigns utilize it. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, are we going to see political advertisements, you know, political consultants using AI to generate images of <laughs> their uh, their candidates and their opponents doing different things, you know, I, I, or get out the vote to get out the vote? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, well, yeah, we'll see. And it's, you know, presidential year, a lot at stake. It's control of the Senate, control of the House, various gubernatorial spots open, a lot of state legislative elections. If you haven't checked out one of our recent posts, if you haven't checked out one of our recent posts on our website, dmgs.com, we did do a preview on open gubernatorial or just gubernatorial elections in general next year. And there's going to be a lot of turnover there. Uh, so we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, but it's going to be an interesting year across the board. Excited. Um, I'm also having a baby or my wife's having a baby. We're having a baby. So that's exciting. 
uh, personally. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, I was a part of that one. No, we'll scratch that part. We'll edit that. Yeah. Out. He's in the waiting room. I think yeah. it was, I think this okay. banter has gone yeah. on too yeah, long. Yeah. Too long. Okay. So, um, I'm going to pause it. Good. <laughs> yeah. And this week we have another special guest, Eric Blomgren from the New Jersey Gasoline Sea Store and Automotive Association. So pretty excited to talk about a number of things with Eric regarding New Jersey. I'm particularly curious, and we'll get into it, if New Jersey is going to continue to prohibit customers from pumping their own gas. Um, that's this is another topic. one. This is like the cheesesteak thing now. Like every time yeah. we have a guest, it happens to come up. Yeah, this is actually relevant. It's not yeah. really with the other guests, but this one it actually is. Totally relevant question given Eric's position. So excited for this conversation. And here we go. All right, Eric, welcome to the Back in Session podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today a little bit about you, your background, who you work for. So that being said, can you just tell us a little bit about uh, the New Jersey Gasoline Sea Store and Automotive Association? What do you guys do? Uh, yeah, we're uh, we're a trade association. We were actually founded in um, 1937 as the Gasoline Retailers Association. And, uh, you know, uh, you really can't make business, you really can't survive in the business um, selling just gasoline. There's really not enough markup on it. So, Originally, everybody used to open an auto repair shop next to it. And then over the last maybe 30 odd years, you've seen the trend in the industry, at least in New Jersey, to be shifting away from the auto repair and more towards the convenience store. So around 2007, we changed our name to reflect that that's the way a lot of our membership is going. So our association's kind of made up almost equal parts of uh, gas and convenience store, gas and auto repair, and then some members that only do auto repair mostly ones that used to have gas pumps, but became too much work, too much effort. So they shut down the gas pumps. They took out the tanks, but they still do the uh, the auto repair side. Do you guys have a, a similar divide to us in Pennsylvania? So we have the Wawa sheets debate all the time, you know, Rudders, Turkey Hill, maybe a little bit, but I would say Wawa and sheets are the two big ones here in Pennsylvania, but, and Wawa's got a great presence in New Jersey now. Um, do you have any, any other competitors like that or any divide like that? Uh, historically, there was Wawa and Quick Check. And Quick Check was in North Jersey and Wawa was in South Central Jersey. And then a couple of years ago, Wawa just decided to go all in. And so they've been opening up very aggressively across uh, North Jersey. Um, and uh, Wawa, uh, Quick Check's opening more and more in um, Central Jersey. And, you know, sometimes they'll get places across from each other. Royal Farms opened a couple locations in the last couple of years. But those are, that's sort of it as far as like the big chains have gone. I mean, the only people who are really opening new gas stations. Like if you hear there's a construction of a new convenience store, you know it's going to be either a Wawa or a quick check in the state. Um, most of our members though are the Exxons, the Shells, the BPs, or the independent brand. You know, we're we're very uh, focused on the small operators. I mean, some of those guys started small, now they got like 50 locations, but they're not branded the same. It might be 10 Exxons and some mobiles and some Shells and some independents and stuff like that. But we still have a lot of members that are just single site operators. So, Eric, how did you get to the association? Uh, I was uh, I was an intern full time on Christie's 2009 campaign, which was kind of like staff because we were outspent like four to one. So they wound up roping everybody in to be 
unpaid workforce that they could get. And then we pulled off that win. And then I was working a little bit in the uh, Christie administration while I was in college. And then, um, you know, there was an opportunity at the association. The woman I worked for, you know, her husband worked here and she had used to work for our former executive director. So they were willing to hire me while I was still in college. So I started there and originally I thought, oh, you know, maybe it'll be a one or two year gig. But that was 2011. And now I'm still here and uh, our executive director retired a year ago. So now I'm the chief administrator and the director of government affairs. So uh, it's been good. It's a good industry to to work for. You get to touch a little bit of everything. And what, what's been your experience lobbying in New Jersey the last 10 plus years? Uh, it's an interesting place, as you can imagine, you know, given some of the recent news about our, our senator and uh, his family. And uh, it seems like a constant stream of uh, headlines that uh, that get us in the national news. But I'd say one of the things that makes it most different in New Jersey from what I've heard of other states is that it basically never ends. You know, I'll go to D.C. or something and I'll talk to my colleagues and they'll say, oh, so when's your session over? And it's like, well, never really. You know, or technically our session ends on January 9th, but I'm sure like on January 15th, there'll be committee hearings again. Like it, as soon as it ends, it just rolls over all over again. So the fact that it's just kind of eternal, you know, in the summer, you might get a break three, four months. If it's an election year, maybe it's they'll kick it till after the election. But it's basically constant that there's a potential for some sort of committee hearing around the corner uh, nonstop. And then, you know, I think another thing that's probably different for us versus some other states is just it's a very small state, like geographically. So you can go meet with legislators in their districts and their constituent offices. You're always within like an hour, hour and a half drive of them. So you're sort of all over the state. It's not a case of where, well, uh, you only talk to them virtually or you only talk to them in the Capitol building. You know, you, you, you can go to them. Sometimes they'll come to you. Yeah, it still blows my mind. We're similar in Pennsylvania. Year-round session never ends. And when when I talk to someone from a different state, it's like, oh, well, you know, our session lasts 30 days. Like, can you imagine New Jersey doing a 30-day, you know, once a year, once every other year session? Like, that that would be insane. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how people uh, stay in business uh, on the lobbying side in some of these states that meet like a couple of yeah. weeks. <laughs> Places like right. Wyoming where like, you know, everybody's very business, business friendly and stuff. You know, we're always dealing with, I mean, I think there's something like 10,000 bills that get introduced in a two-year session in New Jersey. So it sort of touches everything. Every time there's a news article or a Facebook post of somebody complaining about something, you'll get a legislator dropping a bill that now you have to worry about basically forever because, you know, at any given point, there could be a special session of a special committee hearing and they decide to throw it on because let's see what happens. And so you're constantly on guard, but it's good job security. Do you mind speaking of the legislative session? Do you mind just touching on some of the issues you and the association focused on, uh, I guess, what we're in the session we are now completing? Well, I guess I know the one that you and I were talking about in the past that probably gets the most attention is uh, the fact that we are now the only state in the country that legally prohibits motorists from pumping their own gas. You have no idea how excited Stevens is for this part of the conversation, <laughs> by the way. He's been waiting. This whole podcast was just to ask this question. <laughs> so much, uh, it yeah. used to be us in Oregon. Oregon changed the law. But um, we are certainly believers uh, that the law should change and that people should have the freedom to at least have the option of uh, pumping their own gas. But you were going to say something, Stevens? Uh, I, I was born and raised in North Jersey, so I was used to it as a kid growing up and still have family out there. So whenever I 
do a trip, I always make sure to uh, not fill up in Pennsylvania. I always like to <laughs> frequent your uh, your membership, I guess, because um, it's just a nice little perk, I think, um, to have that to have that option. Well, some would think that. Other people, I hear the opposite of, oh, I make sure to fill up before I go into Jersey because I don't want to have to wait around for some guy to do something that takes like 10 seconds. Um, you know, there's definitely, uh, there's a, it really, it's an interesting issue to, to lobby on because there's really no interest group that's against the change. It used to be decades ago, we were in favor of full serve only. Um, now, obviously, we have the opposite position because with the labor shortages that we've had for even before COVID, you just, you really can't find people who want to do the job of pumping gas full time or part time, especially when they could go go to Uber or an Amazon warehouse or something like that, where they're probably making more money and they're indoors instead of in thirty degree cold or ninety degree heat. And, how know, how was that? Yeah, how was that impacted during COVID? I mean, it even made it even harder to find places. We had more and more members that they're not open twenty four hours anymore because it just doesn't. Even if you can find somebody, you wind up having to pay them so much so much time and a half for not a lot of cars that it's just not worth it so it's certainly harder to buy gas after like 9 p.m some larger stations you drive around you'll see like orange cones blocking off like half the pumps sometimes people think oh you know that that must be there's uh they must have run out of gas or the the pump is broken but 99 percent of the time that's purely because of our uh our full serve mandate and they just can't find enough people to man all the pumps. So if there's just one guy, you got to kind of funnel the cars towards where that one guy can zigzag back and forth and take care of people. So oh, you know, wow. we've always said that, Hey, if you just change the law or create the option, you know, those perfectly fine pumps would be open for those who want them. And those who don't could go to where the attendant is. So the bill that you guys, I guess were in favor of or working on would allow the option. So it wouldn't get rid of having an attendant there full time, but it would allow the option. Correct. Yeah, I mean, that became clear when we first started talking about the issue to legislators and we said, well, why don't we just, you know, do what basically every other state does and sort of let the chips fall where they may and let the market decide what the demand is. Because I do think a lot of stations, even without a mandate, would offer full serve for years just because there's clearly enough customers who want it. But they were sort of skeptical of that. So we did write kind of a compromise bill that would guarantee there'd still be some sort of full serve available for the people who really want it. Um you know, so that's what we were pushing. Um, there was a lot of legislative support, especially behind the scenes, but there was just a certain fear of like, well, there's some members of the public that are really afraid of this, that I really don't like this. And they don't even, they didn't even know they had an assemblyman until they found out about this bill and they Googled it and they went through the list and sent an email to everyone in the state saying, don't you dare change this law. I, I love it. I don't want anything to be different. And, you know, that, that became a bit of a hurdle to overcome. Yeah, I think we were, we were talking to someone from New Jersey on a previous podcast episode. Demara, you might have to remind me who. I think it was Micah, maybe. It but was Micah, yeah. Yeah, we, we talked about this a little bit more on the fun side because he didn't have any stake, you know, skin in this game. But uh, I told the story about how my grandmother, who lived most of her adult life in New Jersey, moved down to Florida when she retired and she went to go gas up for the first time. And she was like, what do I do? <laughs> so she had no idea. <laughs> yeah, you. I get a lot of those stories. I mean, I get stories of, oh, I was in Pennsylvania. I was waiting there for 10 minutes and someone walked over to my window and I handed them $20 and I said regular. And they just took the money and walked away and left because <laughs> they were just some other person there. Um, oh, there's funny. a lot of even a lot of legislators like will have the same story of, oh, I never pumped gas until. I went to college in California and I did it the first time and I realized this is the easiest thing in the world or, 
you know, I have a summer home or winter home in Florida, you know, that I go down to when I pump my gas there. And there's a lot of seniors down there that are perfectly happy to pump their own gas. So a lot of people don't really see what the big deal is of why we can't have the option. But there's certain group of people that just really, really don't want any kind of change. And they're afraid if you allow even a little, the whole system will fall apart on them. I can only imagine how raucous that committee hearing on that bill would be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was hoping we would get the chance, but you get the weird kind of paradox of like, well, do we want to take a hit in the public if it's not going to go all the way to the governor's desk? And if it doesn't look yeah, like it is, sure. uh, maybe we avoid the fight for exactly that reason. I mean, I know that they used to have committee hearings in the 80s, and it was quite um, when they were seriously talking about doing this, and it was quite a show. Um, you know, and there were tons of people showing up, but um uh, you know, we would certainly have a lot of members who would show up and say, you know, oh, we absolutely need this and we got to do this. And it's, uh, it's crushing us because, you know, if you're not a Wawa or something, you don't have that big sandwich money coming in to, to right. subsidize your business. You know, you really got to make it on the gas and you really got to find people to to do the job or you legally can't sell gas unless there's an attendant out there to do it for you. Yeah. And then just shifting the conversation a little bit, how do you balance from your perspective working for the association uh, and on behalf of your members, how do you balance the retail side of things versus the energy side? I mean, I think it's all kind of related. You know, it depends on what comes up. Like for us, the the main thing related to energy policy we care about is the the California clean cars rule that mandates it has to be all electric vehicle sales in the future. And we certainly oppose that just from the perspective of opposing, uh, you know, mandates and whatnot. I mean, if it's such a good idea, I think the market should speak for itself. And we we haven't opposed any sort of like incentive programs in the past. In fact, we've tried to get some of our members to apply for incentives to install like the fast chargers. And I think as the, the Biden infrastructure money rolls out for that, we'll certainly be doing that too. But it should be up to the people to decide what kind of car they want for their specific circumstances rather than like the government just deciding, nope, this it's going to be battery EVs and that's what it's going to be. And uh, everybody just jumped to our tune. And I just don't think it's going to work. It's going to be very expensive. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's for our members, it's because they sell gasoline at retail so that it's a retail thing. It's an energy thing. And other than that, you know, we'll keep an eye on energy policies just because we're consumers of electricity to light up the, the store and the signs and all that, the station. And, you know, if you wind up doing some sort of big mandate and subsidizing it through the rate payer, you know, that really affects small businesses because your electric bill kind of, it is what it is. You got to pay it. It's like taxes. I mean, in order to be open, you need a certain amount of electricity. So, you know, we keep an eye on those kinds of general business issues too. Yeah. And I, I know the answer to this, but for the sake of our listeners, can you just uh, delve into the background a little bit on ACC2 and what that means for New Jersey residents? I mean, I talked to a couple of family members a couple of months ago when I heard about it and they had no idea that they might not be able to buy a new gas vehicle in a couple of years. So do you, do you mind just walking through the background a little bit? Yeah, there, there was this decision made decades ago that, you know, in terms of vehicle emission standards, you could have the national system or they would let California kind of do their own thing and you could opt into either or. And then the last couple of years, California has decided to sort of arguably stretch its legal boundaries to say, you know what, we're just going to say because of fighting climate change, uh, no more gas powered cars and uh, no more new sales in 2035. And since New Jersey has historically been one of those California standard states, as have a couple other states in the Northeast and the West Coast, you know, the governor just announced he wants us to follow along and do the same thing. And I think people don't appreciate 2035 is a lot closer than it feels like. It seems like a 
distant year in the future, like the Terminator kind of a distant thing. But like it's, it's only like 12 years, but even more than that, you know, in like two, three years, it's supposed to be 40 percent of new sales being purely electric vehicles. And I think right now it's like eight percent. And even when you factor in, you know, if even if you lower the cost of the cars, even if you help with the range anxiety, which I don't think we're going to do in the next two years, there's still a lot of problems and complications for a lot of people. to have to get an electric car. I mean, if you're a two car household and you live in a house, I can see it making sense, but anything beyond that, even if it's just having both cars be EVs, I think there's a lot of challenges with, with the range and the reliability. And when the weather gets cold, you lose even more range. And, you know, I live in an apartment complex and I don't imagine the people who run that want to install 50 chargers at, certain, at every space. And what if you have to park on the street or you're getting up in the middle of the night to swap out cars and, Now, there's a lot of complications that I think uh, this is going to run into. And I just, I also don't see how the manufacturers can make enough cars to have 40% new cars in like three years. Um, and it doesn't seem like anybody else, you know, even a lot of legislators you talk to privately are like, oh, yeah, this is not, some, some publicly will say, yeah, we don't really see this as being practical. But, you know, here in New Jersey, we got a governor who's definitely leaving office in about two years. So, you know, it's the next governor's problem, effectively. Well, Yeah, it became we're. a real it became a real issue, a bipartisan issue in the legislative elections in November. Yeah, there was a lot of um, a lot of talk. It was one of the main issues that Republicans were campaigning on. And a lot of the, even though it was a good night for Democrats overall, a lot of the Democrats who won did so Opposed by explicitly it. saying we oppose this this um, legislation or this regulation. You know, we don't think that you should be taking this choice away from people, especially in New Jersey, which is such a. such a car heavy state. I mean, it's so it's basically all 9.3 million people on the vast majority of them live in suburbs. So you really kind of need a car to get around. And that's another problem with this mandate is that like, you know, used cars are going to become more expensive. It's not just, you, you know, new cars. It's that as it goes out through the marketplace, it's going to be more expensive to fix the car. If you need a new battery after seven years, say like you do with your phone, You know, that's a $30,000 investment just for the battery, much less the rest of the car. So, you know, it's going to make car ownership a lot harder for everybody um, as the years go on. Do you think the legislature is going to tackle this at all in the upcoming legislative session or it's hard to predict, I think? Yeah, I mean, it would be nice. I mean, Connecticut recently had um, a committee there. They have like a unique process that allowed a legislative committee to sort of prevent that regulation from moving through. Um, New Jersey has kind of a system for that where the legislature can invalidate a regulation. You just need a majority in both houses and you need to do it twice. Um, so that's a possibility. I mean, you've got partisan politics that I think probably make that hard. You've got a governor in both legislative chambers with the same party. So there's even when legislators are in agreement that it's not a good policy, do they actually want to do something that could arguably embarrass someone of their own party. That's kind of the biggest hurdle I think we have to overcome with that. Yeah, and just back to November a little bit, obviously, as you mentioned, good night for Democrats in, in New Jersey and, and a lot of other places in the country as well. But did anything in particular stand out to you? Any surprises? Um, I was less surprised by the outcomes and who won the races than like the margin of victory and a lot of them like There was some like in the the fourth district in Southwest Jersey that was sort of drawn, redrawn and redistricting to be a, a good opportunity for Republicans much more than it had been. And it looked like it could go either way. 
And I could have seen it going either way, but the Democrat, not Paul Moriarty, not only did he win, he won by 10 points. And there was a lot of that, like next door, Ed the trucker, Ed Durr, who, you know, defeated the Senate president, spending like no money two years ago. You know, not only did he lose to one of the guys that he beat on the ticket two years ago, he lost by like eight points. Or Vin Gopal in the district that I live in, you know, he's been a very moderate pro-business Democrat for a couple of years, well-known. He had a fairly solid Republican opponent. And I expected him to win, but he won by 21 points. Like he did like 10 points better than even Biden did. Or there was one uh, senator in kind of a, a district that was on the bubble of maybe being competitive. I was talking to like a week before the election. And he, he said, uh, you know, I'm, I expect to win probably by like five points. And he won by like 15. So I think even they wow. were surprised by like how much more democratic of a year the environment proved to be. Yeah, and then at least looking forward to next year, New Jersey wrapped up or is wrapping up its legislative session, two-year session. Coming back in next month, what's on the agenda for you guys next year? Uh, one thing that we're looking at doing that, um, you know, sort of like with the self-serve that a lot of other states do, is make it easier to sell beer and wine to convenience stores. About 80% of the nation's convenience stores sell beer already. In New Jersey, it's basically zero because we have these antiquated liquor laws from uh from prohibition area that you know, we got the feeling what'd you say i said we get the feeling over here in pennsylvania <laughs> well yeah yeah i guess pennsylvania you guys know too you know there's there's all these caps on like how many licenses are available and per per these little towns and as a result if you want to sell beer in a convenience store you have to get a full-on liquor license for if there's even one available it'll cost you six figures or something just for the license if not a million dollars um, and at that point, you might as well just be a liquor store because you've got a license to sell everything and you spent this much money. And we're just talking about, hey, let us put a couple casefuls of beer, you know, in, in the fridge for people who want to just pop in on the way to somewhere else, pick up a six pack to go to a friend's. So that's something then that we're hoping to get done because there's a lot of conversation about license reform overall, mostly focused on restaurants. We're also uh, very concerned about a proposal that came out of the Lottery Commission to sell lottery tickets online directly. Basically, they just decided to create a regulation that gives themselves the ability to, to license themselves as a retailer and then to sell tickets directly through the internet or through a mobile app. So obviously you can imagine a lot of our convenience store members who rely on lottery tickets to get people in the store are very concerned by that. And we're also very concerned just on a process question. And I think there's a lot of legislators who you know, a lot are sympathetic to our members as small businesses and that the lottery should be promoting small businesses, but also just concerned on the sort of constitutional aspect of this regulatory body, just interpreting this 50-year-old law to just give themselves this power out of nowhere. So we're looking to do something to maybe restrict that or overturn that regulation. Um, and then, you know, we're, we talked about the EV mandate too, is something we're looking at is Right now in lame duck, there's a talk about banning menthol cigarettes, which is something we definitely oppose just because it's not going to work because you've got Pennsylvania. I mean, I'm sure you guys can tell me, I don't think they're even considering a menthol cigarette ban at the state level in Pennsylvania. So you can drive an hour and pick up a couple cartons, then that means you're not buying it from a local business in New Jersey. You're still smoking just as much and you're not paying New Jersey taxes. So now we're losing a bunch of revenue and not even getting any health gains. 
So, we hear the I, same argument here, but from a cannabis perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah it's just start some businesses. Go back and yeah. forth right on the border. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> My Mars part one, part two. Uh... <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, Eric, we always like to end on uh, more of a fun question. So I have to ask, particularly anybody from Jersey we talk to, Taylor Hammer or Pork Roll? Uh, well, I grew up in North Jersey, so until... Uh, I was like 20 years old. I had literally never even heard the term pork roll. It was just exclusively Thank Taylor you. ham. Now I've been traveling a lot more. I'll say objectively, I think there's a case to be made that the product is pork roll and Taylor ham is just the best brand of it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. That's probably the most cohesive argument I've heard on it. Yes, yeah, so I tried. Yeah, that was, that was a very well That's said. good compromise. <laughs> I've thought about it extensively. You've clearly thought about it. Yeah. Yes, no, this is a serious thing. Uh, you know, everybody has to have an opinion on it, so I'm I'm ready to go. Yeah, when I moved to Pennsylvania, I went to go get like a Taylor ham, not Taylor ham breakfast sandwich, and they said, "What pork roll?" I said, "What's pork roll? Is that what Taylor ham is?" I don't know. <laughs> I'm surprised they even had it. I thought it was like a Jersey only thing. Yeah, they sell it, no, but we have yeah. it in southeastern Pennsylvania too. Yeah, I'm glad it's being exported. Yeah, but for some for some for some reason it tastes better in Jersey. I don't know what it is, but yeah, <laughs> every time I come back, I have to get one. Yes, absolutely. So, but yeah, thanks, Eric. Appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today. Um, where can our listeners learn more about the association? Uh, you know, we're on all the social media pages. Um, NJGCA.org is the website, and you can find you know all our accounts through there. They're all basically named some version of NJGCA. Awesome. Thanks, Eric, for your time. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, guys. And that was our interview slash discussion with Eric Blomgren from the NJGCA. Thought we had a pretty good conversation. Yeah, I'm just glad you got your answers on pumping gas in Jersey. Yeah, I know I have yeah. to leave here. I have to leave to head down tonight for something. I'm definitely going to wait. I, I intentionally left my gas tank a little bit lower knowing that as soon as I cross over the bridge, I could stop and get some. Just roll down the window. That's right. Hand out your, your credit card, debit card, and just say regular build up. <laughs> so yeah, great, great discussion. Uh, appreciate Eric coming on and, and talking a little bit about New Jersey. Very interesting state. You know, both of us work, work there. Uh, I've lived there. You have family there too now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Great, great, great state. Um, I have been preparing myself for the New Jersey discussion with, you know, watching plenty of Sopranos lately and celebrating the Giants new star quarterback, Tommy touchdown, Tommy DeVito. Um, great, great story. Great story. I'm, I I'm, I'm happy for you, that that's what you have to hold on to. I, you, you mentioned Sopranos, you know, there is a flaw in one of the Sopranos episodes, and I'm as big a fan of the show as you are, I've read the book and everything, but you know there is a flaw with with the, the Pine Barrens episode. Which episode? The Pine Barrens episode. What's the flaw? At one point in the episode, this is a perfect tie-up to this whole thing, Christopher and Polly, when they're stopping to get gas, they're pumping the gas. Huh. Yeah. You know what? I'm it's like, a flaw. You know, somebody pointed out to me. You never knew, but it's a perfect tie-in to this whole thing. That is a great tie-in. I just watched that episode like three weeks ago. Yeah, so now, now to I'm gonna have to go back and watch it. Yeah, it's a wow. It's a flaw. 
Well, maybe probably we'll one to... of like the two flaws in that entire series because it's so well done, right? But yeah, maybe we'll have to to send this to some of the Sopranos guys who have their own. I don't think they'd appreciate. And... <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know if they'd appreciate our our takes yeah. on that. No, we're I big mean, fans. We're big fans. We are very big guys. Fans. Great show. Um, yeah, and it, yeah, that that's interesting. I'm gonna have to go watch that. And yeah, interesting. So, All right, you want to cool. gavel us out? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, uh, folks. Thanks for listening in. Appreciate it as always. If you've gotten gotten this far, you know we'll we'll we've got some yeah. Int- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've we, we've got some good episodes coming up on deck. I think you guys are gonna find interesting we're excited for a couple of these uh, discussions and definitely going to be taking a small break over the you know the holidays and new years but we'll be we'll be back with a vengeance uh, in session in january but i think we'll have one or two episodes before then so yeah with that being said uh until next time when we will be back in session beep boop beep boop boop boop, boop.